point, our preschoolers who go to Children's Church can be dismissed at this time. I know we normally have this video and whoo, all this going on, but not this morning, okay? Hey, I want to pray to start with, um, but as I pray, I want you to be thinking about the question, what is it that God wants to do in my life? What is it that God wants to do in my life? What is his, what is his will? What is it that at this point in my life that God is asking of me? Uh, maybe a season of your life, it may be a circumstance that you pass through. What is it at this point in your life, in your journey, that God asks of you? And what, is, what has been and what will be your response to that? And what is the secret of what it means to be faithful to God? What is the secret to the success of saying God has done this in my life? And I want to pray as we start and uh, ask that, that God would speak to us today. Uh, Father, we uh, thank you for this time, and we know that your scripture has been given to us to instruct us, and that, Father, many times we uh, learn from those who have gone before us, and so, Father, I pray that you would use uh, the part of the story that we look at today, of your story, and you would teach us, and that your spirit would speak to us and call us. Uh, to what it is that you want to do in our life at this point in our journey. And so, uh, Father, we just pray that your spirit would speak to us as only he can. And we pray it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. It could be argued that one of the greatest periods of athletic success um, was the UCLA Bruins men's basketball team in the 1960s and the 1970s. In fact, I think you could make the contention of all sports, any level, maybe the team or the time period that was the most successful of any athletic team in any given time, you could argue, was the UCLA men's basketball team from 1963 to 1975. Twelve seasons. Uh, in those twelve seasons, the UCLA Bruins captured, get it, 10 national championships. In 12 years, 10 national championships. In fact, there was a time period in there, they won seven in a row, which is just 
unbelievable. In those 10 championship seasons, they only accumulated, get this, a total of 10 losses. In fact, many of those years they went undefeated, or a number of those years they went undefeated. There was a stretch in the early 1970s that UCLA won 88 straight games in years that um, they generally played about 30 games a season. And you know, you may look at those teams, and if you know anything about basketball, you may think of their great players, and there were a number of them. But probably the ones that come to mind were Kareem Abdul-Jabbar when he was still Lou Alcindor. Uh, Kareem was on some of those teams, three of those teams. Those, those were years that you couldn't play as a freshman. You only played three seasons of varsity basketball. Bill Walton was also a part of a number of those championships. And so you may, you may think of the big men when you think of the UCLA Bruins and those years of dominance. But actually, the person that was at the center of that dynasty, that incredible, maybe the greatest of all time period of athletic success, hmm, was their coach, John Wooden. Um, it's kind of an interesting story. And John Wooden, as a young man, developed a particular uh, approach to life, uh, kind of a philosophical system that he uh, that dovetailed into his uh, coaching career. And so, as a coach, he had a system that he developed as a young man. It was a system. I don't have time to go into the details this morning, but was based on work ethic, discipline, a team concept, focus in the midst of the battle, and maybe most importantly, attention to detail. John Wooden was actually from a small town in Indiana uh, I don't even remember the name of it right offhand. I looked at it last night, but I don't remember it. Uh, I don't know that you would know it if you saw it. Uh, John Wooden was raised in very humble beginnings. Uh, he talks about being raised in a house that had no electricity and no indoor plumbing. <laughs> Can I get a witness for the Lord today? Not from the preacher, but from some today. Um, he... Uh, he was an exceptional basketball player himself at five foot ten. I really, I think his his high school team probably won a state championship, as I re remember reading. He went on to Purdue and was ended up being a, an All American at Purdue. When he got through at Purdue, I, there were maybe some other things he looked into getting into, but uh, started actually coaching at Indiana State University, not University of Indiana, Indiana State. And he coached there for two years. And part of the interesting story of his, of his career, so what I'm going to tell you is he only coached two places, Indiana State and UCLA. Um, and 
had some success at Indiana State and was, had actually been contacted by the University of Minnesota to, to coach for them. And there was a certain day that he was supposed to get a call from whoever for the job offer, and the offer did not come in the time that they had set up. The guy didn't call. And in the midst of that day, UCLA calls, which is, is no basketball program in those days, almost non-existent. And uh, they offered him the job, and John Wooden gave the man on the phone his, his word. He accepted the offer to be the next coach at UCLA. Right after he hung up, the phone rang, and it was the guy from the, the University of Minnesota that had been, he said, I, well, I got, he said, I waited for you, and he said, it's, it's too late. I've already accepted the job at UCLA. And he said, well, I got, I got caught in a snowstorm, and so I couldn't get to the phone, and that's why I was late. John Wooden, you know what a curve in history would have been if John Wooden had become the coach at Minnesota. I don't know what would have happened. Interestingly enough, John Wooden coaches 16 years at UCLA with his system before he ever wins a national championship. But there, was, there were conference championships, and he did quite well. But for those next 12 seasons... So I guess he was the coach 28 years at UCLA. Uh, i kind of tell you the end of the story. After the 75 season, when they win the national championship, at 64 years of age, John Wooden steps away. 64 years of age, which I'm 57. I'm thinking that's a relatively young man. Probably in the prime of his career. Had won 10 of the last 12 national championships and he walks away. Uh, you could argue that that stretch was not only the greatest period of athletic success of any sports team of any kind at any level. John Wooden became known by the nickname the Wizard of Westwood. In a day when, in which we talk about the GOAT, the greatest of all time, Many experts in the game would say the greatest basketball coach of all time undoubtedly is John Wooden. Ten championships in 12 years. He has so many awards that I would not have time to tell you all of them today. But the thing that sticks in my mind and kind of what sparked all this was the Wooden Award which is an award in his name that's given every year to uh, the best basketball, college basketball player in the United States, receives the Wooden Award. When we come in the scripture today, in our little slice of God's story in the book of Joshua, we come to one of the periods. And, and in the midst of the story, there are ups and downs and curves in the road. But when we come today to the book of Joshua, we come to one of the greatest periods of success of God's people. In fact, it's a window of 15 years. And at the center of that 
quote-unquote success of what God does in those 15 years is a man, obviously they named the book after him, it is Joshua. Born a slave in the land of Egypt, (laughs) but comes from very simple, humble beginnings. Was a part of the children of Israel being delivered out of Egypt, (laughs) crossing the Red Sea. Somewhere in the midst of that, he goes to Sinai. Somewhere in the midst of that, he becomes the special assistant to (laughs) the man, Moses, the servant of God. And there's this picture, these little episodes in the book of Exodus, and we've kind of maybe already talked about those, that it's Joshua that goes to the mountain with Moses. It is Joshua that goes as the the younger man, the, the special assistant to the man. He goes into the tabernacle, and even when Moses leaves, Exodus says that Joshua stayed there in the presence of God. It is somewhere in the midst of that that he is identified as the leader of the tribe of Ephraim. So when they send in the 12 spies, Joshua is one of those. And he is a man, along with Caleb, who is a man of faith, that comes back with a good report, but cannot overcome the bad report of the 10 other spies that said, it is a great land, but we can't take it. The people are too great for us. And it is Joshua that has given the baton of leadership from Moses to lead the children of Israel into the land of Canaan. And I want you just to get this big picture, and we're covering all the book of Joshua this morning. Uh, In these 15 years, and there's a timeline on your reference sheet that we put at the end of the pews if you want to look at that. Uh, From about 1405, uh, these are approximate dates, to 1390 B.C., 15 years. The first seven of those years, uh, they go in militarily and they defeat all of the other armies in the land of Canaan, all those kings. We'll talk about that just briefly this morning. In the next eight years, they settle the land. They divide it out, and the tribes go to their respective allotments. They settle the land. It's kind of interesting that the book of Joshua is 24 chapters. The first 12 chapters deal with conquering the land. The final 12 chapters deal with dividing the land, of settling the land. That kind of gives you maybe an overview of what we're going to talk about today. But at the center of that is a man. And and probably this is is the point. If you're just thinking about what do I I take from this? Is a man, Joshua, who was wholeheartedly devoted, faithful, and obedient to God. And... And I've I've read his story previous weeks and this week, the book of Joshua. And I'm looking for kind of that episode is like, ah, where did Joshua kind of just blow it? You know, because most of the stories of the Bible, let's just be realistic, it's the guys like stumble and they fall. And you just don't see it. 
There's maybe one episode with the Gibeonites. Don't even have time to talk about that. Lack of judgment. They didn't seek the Lord in that matter. And it cost them. But it's kind of strange. Joshua from the stories in Exodus and now in the stories of Joshua. A man who was faithful to obey God wholeheartedly and God used that. I want you to see his calling in Joshua 1. We're going to read several verses and kind of walk through this for the next few moments. Joshua 1. And I want to read the first seven verses. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, as I said to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and to the great sea towards the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and of good courage. For to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left that you may prosper wherever you go. In that last verse, in verse 7, we begin to see the secret to Joshua's success, and that's actually, it, it wasn't Joshua's success at all, but God used him as the leader in this time in Israel's life, and it's a great time of victory and triumph and amazing things that God does, that God would take the people, over two million of them living in tents in the wilderness, and they would go and conquer and settle a land that God had promised them hundreds of years before. Part of the secret for Joshua was his faith. We're going to talk about that for just a little bit. That he believed God. He believed God as a young man. When they went in the first time, as one of the, when he was one of the 12 spies, he believed that God could give them that land. But the others didn't believe other than Caleb. He is a man of faith. And I think that's part of the reason that God says to him, be strong and be very courageous. Do not let fear overcome you. And 40 years before, the people succumbed to fear instead of faith. And one of the testimonies of Joshua's life is he was a man of faith that believed God. 
If God said do something crazy, and we'll talk about a couple of them here in just a minute, then I was about to say, by golly, I don't, maybe that's not even a good term. By golly, I'm going to do that. That's, that's what God told me to do. I'm going to do it. It sounds a little crazy. But I'm going to put my faith in God. The other part of his life, and it's contained in this challenge, and we're going to see it at the end of the sermon too. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left. It's one of the things I thought about Coach Wooden. Coach Wooden had a system. (laughs) He knew the way he was going to coach and the way his teams were going to play, and this is the way we're going to do it. It's not up for negotiations. (laughs) Joshua had the law of Moses, and God said, do it by the book. Do it the way I tell you. Don't lean in your own understanding. Don't go left. Don't go right. Straight down the middle. You do it the way I've told you to do it. And the promise of God and what we see in the story, and you can't dispute this, is God blesses that hugely. And God does something in their day that is almost unbelievable in this 15-year period. The big picture is that hundreds of years before this, God promised the descendants of Abraham the land. He also promised them many descendants that they would become a nation that's already been fulfilled. He also promised them a land. Joshua faithfully obeys God to lead the people into that land based on the leadership of God. And God secures the victory. It was his promise. Joshua faithfully obeyed. And God secured the victory. If I'm just breaking it down from Joshua's life to our life, it would be these three points that God speaks, we faithfully obey, and God moves. It's really that that simple. Um, ah, There's several things here I want you to think about. The movement of God, of God doing amazing things, is based on what God has said. I'm not saying this morning, hey, Believe God for big things, come up with big dreams for God, and then ask God to bless those things, and God's going to do those things. No. Joshua didn't come up with a big scheme. His was based on what God had said, God will give us this land, and Joshua, I want you to go up and be a part of leading them into that. And when Joshua faithfully obeyed, and when we faithfully obey, then God moves. I wrote on your sheet several theological points that you take away from this and that is that following God will always require faith don't ever think that it's gonna be easy it's not that God speaks it and God just says I'm gonna do it God always chooses that that middle statement that he's gonna use us and he expects us to to be to faithfully to trust him obey him in faith And to do what he's called us to do. 
And what I see in the life of Joshua is that he is the man who meticulously follows what God has called him to do. And that kind of leads us to that, that next point, that it is faith that activates the hand of God. I, I don't know. You, you've got to kind of get this in your brain. That God speaks. He tells us what his will is. He tells us what he wants. It's always going to require that we respond in faith. There's always going to be that element that God said, no, I just need you to take one more step into the darkness. Well, God, I can't see, but I need you to trust me. But somehow when we respond in faith and we obey what God has called us to do, that the hand of God is, is activated and moves, and God does what only he can do. I would contend today that it was not possible to take over two million slaves who had generationally been slaves and take them up and try to develop them into an army to overtake a land that is established. I would contend today the children of Israel were not able to go up and take the land in their own strength. It would have to be something God would do. And it was based upon the promise of God, what God had spoken. And that as their leader, Joshua, they faithfully followed through. They faithfully obeyed, and God did amazing things. Uh, the first 12 chapters, this is just a whoop, well, this is a boop. Yep, 12 chapters, they conquered the land. In fact, there's three campaigns. There is a central campaign in which they take Jericho, Ai, and they establish an altar in the center of the land. There is a southern campaign in which they defeat five kings. There is a northern camp campaign where they uh, defeat a coalition of kings, and they, in this way, they conquer the land. The amazing part of the story to me is that this new generation responded in faith and not fear. Uh, it even goes down to the, the two spies that uh, Joshua sent to the city of Jericho to spy out the land. And when they come back, and you'll see the parallels from Moses' life uh, as we look at these stories, but in Joshua 2.24, the two spies that have gone to Jericho and have been kept safe by Rahab the harlot, they come back and it says in 2.24, and they said to Joshua, truly the Lord has delivered all the land into our hands. For indeed, all the inhabitants of the country are faint-hearted because of us. They didn't come back like the, the spies 40 years before and say, well, no, it, we can't do it. There's no way. No, we can do it. And they're afraid of us. You see their faith. Um, hey, can I put up, Peyton, can I put up the map so we can talk geographic, geographical? Uh, this is the land once they settle it in the 12 tribes. Uh, some of these are a little bit disputed. I'm already questioning one of them. But this is a general idea of how they settle the land. But they come in from the northern end of the Dead Sea um, around, you can, maybe you can see Jericho just across the Jordan River. But they are on the eastern side of the Jordan River, and the Jordan River is flooded at the season in the spring of the year. And it's not something they can cross as a people. And the first city they're going to encounter is Jericho. And then they're going to go to Ai. I don't know if you can see that. And then they're going to establish an altar 
at Mount Ebal and Gerizim in that region, right in the center of the land. They're going to they're gonna do that. Uh, the thing I like about the story of crossing the Jordan River is God says to Joshua, have the priest with the ark come to the edge of the water that's in flood stage, and I want the men to step into the water. And when you step into the water, then I'm going to stop the water from upstream. And I'm thinking, well, God, you could have stopped the water before they stepped in the water. You could have, you know. But all the while, God was calling for a response of faith. I want you to have the faith, Joshua, to get everybody lined up and the first people step in the water. And when they step in the water, then I'm going to stop the water and it's going to drive. And you're going to see the hand of God. He required a step of faith. I love the story that after they got over and they got to Gilgal and they set up the 12 stones and they're about to, the, maybe the next day they're starting the assault on that first city, Jericho. There is this great story in Joshua 5.13 and it says, and in, in, this is an encounter that Joshua has with an angel and it says, and it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted his eyes and looked and behold, a man stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? <laughs> Are you on their side or our side? I love this response. The angel says, and he said, No. I don't know if you get what he was saying. It is not an issue of whose side I'm on. I'm asking you today, whose side are you on? <laughs> I don't know if you get that. No, you're asking the wrong question. You're asking, am I fighting for you or am I fighting for your adversaries? That's not the question. The question is, are you going to fight the angels saying on God's side or not? No. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm yelling. <sighs> no, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worship, and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? Then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. I'm asking you, Joshua, at the start of this, that you commit yourself to me. And here's the great thing in the story, is God sends the commander of his army to fight for the Israelites. Joshua, don't think that you're going to come in here and you're going to fight this battle. It's not your battle. It's my battle. And God said, I will fight for you. And you see that throughout the story. When they, uh, man, in, in Joshua 10, uh, part of the southern campaign, there is this great story when the, the, the coalition of five kings comes against the Israelite army at, at Gibeon. And God, it says that God routs the other army. And they're fleeing. And in the midst of them fleeing, the scripture says, and God just sent hailstones in the midst of it. And the hailstones, the hailstones killed more than the Israelites killed. God just said, you people need help. I'm fighting the battle here. That is the other, the great part of that story is daylight was waning and they were not going to have time to kill all of them as they were fleeing. 
This is the story in the Old Testament where Joshua prays that God would stop the sun or stop the earth or boop, just hit the pause button, God. We can't let this day end. And the scripture says there's never been a day like that since, that God just stopped it and they completed the defeat of the other army. And God says in, in chapter 10, verse 42, the summary says, all these kings and their land Joshua took at one time. And here it is. Because the Lord God of Israel fought for Israel. God was the one who fought for them. It was God who won the victory. God had spoken that I'm going to give you this land, but I need you to faithfully obey what I've called you to do. And when you do that, I'm going to do amazing things. I don't guess there's any bigger story in this section than the, the defeat of Jericho, that first city in which God, they come up there and, and God just says, okay, here's the plan. You to get the Ark of the Covenant and the priest, and then everybody else is going to form a line, and we're just going to circle the city. And then y'all going to go back to your camp at Gilgal. All right, all right. And I want you to do that day two, three, four, five, and six. Then on day seven, this is what I, I don't know if you've ever heard this story. On day seven, I want you to do the same thing, but you're going to circle the city seven times, and after the seventh time, the priests are going to blow the trumpet, and you're going to yell, and I'm going to bring down the walls of Jericho. You can't make this stuff up. And you're not going to believe what happened on that seventh day. This is their first city. When the trumpets sound, and they yell, the walls fall out of Jericho. And they go up and they take the city. <laughs> At the very start, God said, no, if you'll just do it the way I tell you to do it, if you will faithfully obey, I will do what I, only I can do. I will fight the battle for you. In the second half of the book, they divide out the land. Uh, we've already seen a map of that. Uh, oh, I don't know. They're organized according to the 12 tribes. You get that. There's, there's tribal identity, and there will be for years after this. Uh, the only tribe that doesn't get an inheritance are the Levites. Um, God said he would be their inheritance, their land. Uh, two and a half of the tribes are allowed to settle on the, across the Jordan. The tabernacle is set smack dab in the middle of the promised land in Shiloh, which is a part of the tribe of Ephraim, the connection being Joshua is from the tribe of Ephraim. Dead center of the, of the land of promise. Put the tabernacle there. That's the place that we will worship God. Uh, God organizes them. He sets aside six cities of refuge for, so that people, if they accidentally kill someone, they can flee there. Um, yeah, we don't have time to cover that detail. Just read it. Uh, there's 48 cities that are established for the Levites. The one thing I would say is when we come to the end of Joshua, they have conquered the land, they have occupied the land, but just put a little asterisk historically here. They did 
not completely eliminate the Canaanite people from the land. Would you just put a little mental note there? They conquered the land, they occupied the land, but they did not completely eliminate the people of the land. We see in the life of Joshua the parallels to Moses. As Moses crossed the Red Sea, Joshua crosses the Jordan River. As Moses sent 12 spies, Joshua sends two spies into Jericho. As Moses had an encounter with God at the burning bush, Joshua has an encounter with the angel of the Lord the night before they start their military campaign. And just as Moses ended his life with a long speech to the people to remind them what God had done and what God called for them to do, Joshua does the same. And so we come to the end of Joshua in chapter 23. Joshua, and we know he dies at 110. We don't know, we assume it's, it's close to that time. And there are some things that Joshua, and this is how I close, that Joshua wanted to remind the people And so he says, he gathers up the leaders, and it says in chapter 23, Now it came to pass a long time after the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their enemies round about that Joshua was old, advanced in age. And Joshua called for all Israel, for their elders, for their heads, for their judges, for their officers, and said to them, I am old, advanced in age. (laughs) You have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations because of you, here's the phrase, for the Lord your God is he who has fought for you. See, I have divided to you by lot these nations that remain to be an inheritance for your tribes from the Jordan with all the nations that I have cut off as far as the great sea westward. And the Lord your God will expel them from before you and drive them out of your sight. So you shall possess their land as the Lord your God promised you. Therefore, this is what Joshua says, therefore be very courageous to keep and do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, lest you turn aside from it to the right hand or to the left. Do you understand? Those were the very words that God told Joshua at the start of his ministry. It is the secret to his success that I was a man of faith and courage and I was a man that meticulously stuck to the details of what it was that God has called me to do and God did amazing things. That's the secret right there. Have the faith to believe God because it will always require faith. But it is faith that activates the hand of God. And God can do above and beyond what we could ever dream. And most, Joshua calls the people to make the same commitment. And then his famous words, if we turn to the next chapter. Joshua says in verse 12 of 24, I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out from before you. Also the two kings of the Amorites, but not with your sword or with your bow. You didn't do it. God said, I did it. I have given you a land for which you did not labor, and cities which you did not build. 
and you dwell in them. You eat of the vineyards and olive groves which you did not plant. Now, therefore, this just parallels Moses, the old man, I'm about to go to the mountain to die. My parting words. Now, therefore, fear the Lord. Serve him in sincerity and in truth. And put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve whether the gods which your fathers served that are on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Those are the parting words of the old man who had faithfully obeyed God all of his life and God used in amazing ways. So my question to you today, what is it that God asks of you what is it that God has called you to? We know that the call of God from his word is that first and foremost we would be saved through faith in Jesus Christ. <laughs> Please understand, the name of Joshua means the Lord Yahweh is salvation. And when you pass the, the word the name Joshua through the Hebrew language to the Greek language to the English language, do you know what name it comes out to be? Jesus. In the same way, Jesus made a way of salvation that will always require faith to believe God that his son has died for your sins by his cross, but you have to place your faith in him. You have to step into the water. It's going to require something, a response. So we know the first call of God is salvation, and then God calls us to a life, live like Jesus, and that conforming of our image into the image of Christ. And then ultimately, God calls us to a life of impact, to make a difference in the world. Mm -hmm. You see, all of that, is only possible by faithful obedience to what God has said and it activates the hand of God that God does amazing things as we respond in faith so as we stand this morning and as brother Shane comes um, our heads are bowed I ask you what is it that God calls of you today what is your step of faith? And would you believe that God could do amazing things if simply your heart is wholly devoted to His? Byron and I are going to be at the front as you have steps of faith to take, whether that would, whatever that looks like, whatever it is that God calls you to do, we're here to receive you. The altar is also open this morning as we sing.